so today is the first Sunday of Lent, and we're kicking off a new series today um, in this season. It's called Bound for Lent, and we're going to explore uh, a story during Lent from the Old Testament, which is a little different because usually during Lent, uh, it's the six weeks leading up to uh, remembering Jesus's death on the cross and uh, Easter Sunday. And so usually uh, we're journeying with Jesus during Lent and we're reading some passages from the gospel accounts or from the New Testament. So um, that makes it a little different reading this story from the Old Testament. It's also going to be different because we're just going to read one story over and over and over for the next uh, six weeks, partly because we just need to slow down sometimes and absorb what this one story has to offer to us and let it do its work on us before we move on to something else. Um, Also, what you're going to see is there is so much in this story that we're going to look at. So many of the challenges we face in our faith, so many of the questions we have about God, so many of the doubts we carry, so many of the the problems we wrestle with are found in this story. Uh, So much of what the whole season of Lent is about, so much of what Jesus's story is about is found in this story. So uh, wherever you are on your journey of faith, um, whether you're new to the journey of faith or maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, but you're in a new season of faith. Or maybe you're just in a new season in your life where you're not even really sure where you're going or what God is up to or what to believe anymore. Um, this is a story uh, for all of us. So with that in mind, um, we're going to read the first part of the story today. Um, and actually, I've asked Jillian if she would just read it for us. Um, so listen to how it begins. Genesis 22, 1 through 8. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Now, if you grew up in church, you have probably heard this story before. Uh, Perhaps you even know how the story ends. And it's one of those stories that we just say, well, that's just one of those Bible stories that we have to accept, right? Um, No, no, it's not. It's not one of those stories uh, we have to accept. It's, It's a really disturbing story. I mean, think about what's happening here. Think about how you would hear this story if it happened to be the very first time You are listening to this. God asked this man named Isaac or Abraham to sacrifice his son, Isaac. And by the way, sacrifice means to kill his son, 
to chop his body up into pieces and burn the pieces on a fire. What kind of God would ask anyone to do that? I mean, if any parent in the room right now or listening to this was asked to do something like that, they would immediately question it. They would immediately reject it. They would immediately say, that cannot be God asking me to do that. And yet you read the story and apparently Abraham doesn't have any questions. He doesn't have any hesitations. It says he gets up early the next morning. He starts making preparations and he starts doing what God told him to do. And then he's not even really honest about it, right? He, he tells his servants once they get a little way and they leave the servants, he says, you guys just wait here. My son Isaac and I are going and we'll be back in a little while. That's not true. Abraham knows that's not true. That's not what he's going to do. And then he tells his son to carry this wood and his son is carrying the wood and he's like, dad, where's the animal? Because the son apparently knows that he's going to sacrifice some sort of animal. And that's what Abraham's told him. And he says, where's the animal? And Abraham basically says to him, don't worry, God's going to take care of it. He'll provide an animal, which also isn't true, right? Because God has already provided the sacrifice and already told Abraham what the sacrifice is going to be. How disturbing is this story? Let's close in prayer. Um, no, that would be a really depressing sermon. Um, I mean, the truth is, I, I know there are some Sunday school answers to these questions. I know there's some easy Sunday school answers that I could offer, but I don't think they're good answers. And I don't think they're easy. And they're definitely not satisfying, <laughs> And for me, that's why I think this is an important Lent story. Because uh, Lent itself, this practice we do for six weeks, is not very easy. It's not very satisfying. Um, I said this a few nights ago, if you were at our Ash Wednesday service. Um, I feel like every year I get a few weeks into Lent and I'm kind of ready for it to be over. Uh, I'm ready to move on to the end. Um, oftentimes I give something up and about two or three or four weeks in, I'm ready to give up on giving whatever I gave up. And that makes me even feel guilty about it. Uh, I remember a number of years ago, I gave up uh, sweets for Lent. Um, and my kids were little and I was sharing with them because I was trying to be the vulnerable dad, like that it was hard to give up sweets. And I remember one of my daughters, she was like five years old at the time. She said, Daddy, um, it's okay that it's hard for you to give up sweets, but just don't forget, Jesus gave up his life for Lent. Um, thanks for the encouragement, honey, right? So, I mean, even giving something up isn't easy. Uh, but Lent itself is, is unsatisfying because ultimately we're following Jesus to the cross. That's where it's leading. And, and yes, I know, we all know Easter comes after that, right? But still, there's the cross. That's, you can't get around that. You can't ignore that. It's the ultimate destination of Jesus's journey. And so for six weeks during Lent, we reflect on that journey. We reflect on our own journeys of faith. And this year, we're going to do it by reflecting on this journey that Abraham was called to make. 
And, and that's really the, the first thing that we all need to notice in this story from Genesis 22. It's about a journey. Abraham is literally asked to make a physical journey. So let's read this verse one more time um, that Jillian read to us. It says this in verse two, God said, take your son and go. And then there's a little Hebrew word I'll come back to in a second to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Now, uh, we're going to look at the details of this over the next few weeks. And so we're going to talk about some of those questions that you probably have. Um, what's going on here? How old is Isaac? What's their relationship like? Why is God asking something so crazy and absurd uh, of Abraham? So, so we'll get to all of that. But don't miss the simple fact that what God is calling Abraham to do requires a journey. Which, of course, raises a question for me. If, if Abraham's sitting at home, Abraham could have done what God is calling him to do in the backyard. Right? Well, why does he have to go somewhere else? Why does he have to go on this long, arduous journey to do what God is calling him to do? He has to go to this place. It's called Moriah. Um, we don't know how much Abraham knows about this place. Maybe he's aware of it. Maybe he's heard of it. Maybe he's never been there, but it's certainly several days away. It's going to require a lot of walking and traveling. They have to take uh, supplies and make preparations and servants have to travel with them. So it's going to be a long and arduous journey. Why would God ask Abraham to leave his home and go to this other place to do what he's asking him to do. Well, maybe there's something there about the destination. Maybe there's something about this place called Moriah that is unique, that there's something there, there's something sacred about that place that, that has to be a part of this whole thing. Moriah is a mountain. Uh, later, it will be known as Mount Zion. And it's the site of the city of Jerusalem. Maybe it's something about that place that God wants Abraham to see and experience. Or, or maybe it's just about the journey itself. Maybe it has nothing to do with the actual destination. But there is an experience to be had on the journey that is as significant as what will happen when they get there. By the way, this is not the first time that God has asked Abraham to make a journey. Uh, ten chapters earlier in Genesis 12, which happens to be about 40 or 50 years earlier in Abraham's life. So before any of this happens, before he has a son named Isaac, before him and his wife Sarah have any kids, before they're even living in the land of Canaan, they're still living back in their homeland somewhere in Mesopotamia. The very first time that God speaks to this man named Abraham, here's what he said. The Lord has said to Abraham, go. From your country, your people, and your father's household to the land, I will show you. This is the first time God's spoken to Abraham. And maybe Abraham's thinking, well, why? Why do you want me to travel to this, to this new place? And so then God follows it up. And I'll just summarize here. Basically, God says, well, when you go to this new place, I'm going to bless you in ways you can never imagine. I'm going to give you children, which I know has been hard. I know you and your wife, Sarah, have had, tried to have kids for years and years and years, and you've never been able to have kids. I'm going to change that. You're going to have kids, 
and your kids are going to have kids and your kids' kids are going to have kids and you're going to flourish and you're going to grow and you're going to have this new home and this new land and you're going to have this massive family and eventually this massive family is going to become like an entire nation and the family that comes from you is going to end up blessing all the peoples, all the nations, even the heels of San Pablo La Laguna, all the nations on earth and all the peoples on earth will eventually be blessed through you, Abraham. But it all starts with you taking a journey. It's not going to happen if you stay where you are. You're going to have to go somewhere new, somewhere to a place that I will show you. Now, hopefully you see the similarities in these two invitations to a journey that happened some 40 or 50 years apart. But I want to highlight one little nuance here in the Hebrew, get nerdy just for a second, because there's something about this little Hebrew word, this preposition that comes after the word go in Hebrew. It's the word laka. And laka uh, translates as by yourself. La is by, ka, whenever it's added to any Hebrew word at the end, means to you or to yourself. So this means by yourself. So literally, it would be go by yourself to this new land that I will show you. Or go by yourself to this place called Moriah. But we know that's not literally what God means. Because on the first journey that Abraham's supposed to take, he's supposed to take his wife with him. He ends up taking his nephew Lot with him. He takes all these servants with him to go to this new land. On the second journey, he's clearly supposed to take Isaac with him. He also takes all of these servants to go on uh, with him on the journey. So we know that it's not literally like, go by yourself, don't take another person with you. And so most English translations just don't even translate that little word because it wouldn't make sense to say go by yourself because we would think that means don't take anyone with you. So what, what does it mean? Why is that word in there? Well, here's how one uh, Hebrew scholar, his name is Gordon Wenham. He's probably one of the most preeminent Hebrew scholars in the world. Here's how he explains this word. This particular usage of the preposition laka conveys the impression that the subject, that's Abraham, Establishes his own identity, recovering or finding his own place by determinedly disassociating himself from his familiar surrounding. That's the heart of what this word means. Determinedly disassociating yourself with your familiar surroundings. You're going to have to leave behind what's comfortable, Abraham. You're going to have to leave behind what's easy, what's familiar, what's known. I'm inviting you to go on a journey. Awesome, God. Where are we going? Don't worry about it. I'll show you when we get there. You're just going to have to trust me on the journey. And this happens at the beginning of Abraham's relationship with God. And then some 40 years later, just when Abraham's getting settled in, just when things are getting easy and comfortable, just when his family's growing and, and all the things that God said were going to come true are beginning to come true, just when it's comfortable, God comes to him again in Genesis 22 and says, it's time to go on another journey. And you're going to have to trust me big time on this one. Uh, it's a little bit like the journey that 
Jesus invited his disciples on? Remember when he first met them? These men and women, and he basically just said, hey, follow me. Awesome. Where are we going, Jesus? Don't worry about it. Just, just follow me. Trust me. I'll show you along the way. And of course they did. They began to follow him. And a couple of years in, just when they began to get uh, comfortable and familiar and they began to figure out we're following this great teacher and we're going to go to synagogues and we go to all these places and crowds are going to be listening and he's going to perform these miracles and we're going to be like the rock stars because everyone's looking at us and we're following him. And just when everything's comfortable, Jesus says, all right, I have another journey. It's going to be an important one. We need to go to Jerusalem. I want you to follow me there. It's going to be hard. But something significant is going to happen when we get there. And the Gospel of Luke tells us that when Jesus shares that with his disciples, that he sets out with purpose, with intention, resolutely, determinedly for the city. Of Jerusalem. You see, Jesus' journey to Jerusalem for that last week of his life, and of course, Abraham's journey to Moriah, as unsettling as they are, in some ways just offer a picture of the entire journey of faith. And particularly, Abraham's story reminds us of a few important truths that we need to remember on our own journeys of faith. Uh, First, the journey always begins with questions that don't have good answers. You want me to do what? Jesus, uh, God? My son? Are you serious? What's going to happen in Jerusalem, Jesus? You're going to be arrested and killed? Every journey that God calls us on, maybe the questions aren't as weighty as those, but every new journey that God calls us on, every new work, every new season of faith that we're invited into is almost always going to begin with some questions that don't have great answers. And that does not mean we don't ask those questions. And it doesn't mean we don't wrestle with those questions. And it doesn't mean there's not times where we come to God and demand answers for those questions. It just means we shouldn't be surprised when God invites us into something new that there's going to be some questions that we don't have answers for yet. The second thing we learn is that the journey requires leaving behind comfort with no assurance of success. It's always going to require stepping out of your comfort zone, taking a risk, right? Doing things without any assurance that things are going to go Perfectly and smoothly. If there was an assurance of success whenever God told us to step out of our comfort zones, then we wouldn't be stepping out of our comfort zones. It wouldn't really be a journey of faith in God. The journey of faith is always going to include that little Hebrew preposition, laka. You're going to have to leave what's easy and comfortable and what's known. And you're going to have to do something that, at least in your mind and in your heart and according to your criteria, might seem like it's going to end in failure. It's going to require leaving behind our comforts without any assurance of success. But then here's the last thing 
the journey's outcome, it's in God's hands. He's the one responsible for the destination. Now, we don't often understand or realize or know exactly where he's taking us. And so sometimes it doesn't make a lot of sense to us. Like, God, why would you be asking me to give this thing up? God, why are you asking me uh, to serve in this way? God, why would you be asking me to forgive that person and what they did to me? Why would you be asking me to, to break off this relationship? It might not make any sense why God is asking me to trust him in this new way, but I do it because I know the outcome is in his hands. It's not in mine. So the question this morning is this. What new journey is God inviting you on? What are the questions that have been surfacing in your life or in the season that you're in that don't have good answers that maybe you just need to be honest about and say, these are the questions and I don't have great answers for them. What's the comfort that God is inviting you to leave behind and trust him with? What's the outcome that you need to trust him with? Let me pray for us. Lord, we pause for just a few moments today and we want to um, be open to wherever you're leading us. Um, and we know you're gracious and you're merciful and you wouldn't ask us to do anything that we can't do. And we see how gracious and merciful you were in Abraham's life that you spent years showing him how trustworthy you are before you asked him to do anything difficult. And the same with the disciples. And so whatever step of faith you're asking each one of us to take in our lives right now, maybe it's something in this very season of Lent. Would you give us the courage to be able to trust you in the journey? We pray all of this in your name. Amen.